uh, I want to share with you uh, a parable. Uh, once upon a time, there was a, a crude life-saving station uh, with a modest lighthouse uh, building uh, and operating uh, one boat to go out and rescue uh, people at sea. The lighthouse was small, but it had a powerful beam, and it was, was located near a reef where shipwrecks frequently occurred. Now, a few dedicated individuals kept constant watch, scanning the water for any signs of people who were in trouble. So many lives were rescued over the, uh, the years that the life-saving station became uh, famous. Uh, they had saved so many people. Uh, they, uh, many others wanted to come and be a part of that life-saving uh, station. Uh, they, too, gave their time, talents, and treasures to support the work. Uh, new boats were purchased and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew rapidly uh, with sweet camaraderie and unity. Uh, but over time, however, some of the members became dissatisfied with their crude and poorly equipped building uh, and the increased workload in caring for those rescued. Uh, they felt that a more comfortable place was needed. Uh, so the, the hut was enlarged and new furnishings were provided. Now that the, the station was, was beautifully decorated, uh, it became a popular meeting place for members who began to call it uh, the club. Because they enjoyed being together in the rich and comfortable fellowship, many members lost interest uh, in the life-saving rescue missions. So professional crews were hired uh, to do this work. And although the life-saving vision was still embraced as the official purpose of the club, uh, it was no longer the primary mission. And about this time, a large ship was wrecked off of the coast. Uh, the professional crews brought in uh, boatloads of cold, half-dead victims. But the filth, smell, and inconvenience set the club into chaos. The property committee decided to build an outside shelter where the victims could be cleaned before entering the clubhouse. And at the next meeting, there was a split between the club's membership. Most of the members wanted to terminate the club's life-saving activities, which they had come to view as time-consuming and costly. Besides, these activities were becoming a real hindrance to meeting the needs of the club members. A few members continued to insist that life-saving was their primary purpose, so the majority of members conceded to provide financial assistance so that another life-saving station could carry on the work. This was a small minority uh, but they built a simple hut down the coast where they continued their life-saving operations. As the years passed on, however, this new station gradually evolved into a club. And soon, yet another life-saving hut was founded. History continued to repeat itself until there were uh, lighthouses all the way along the coast. Um, but uh, up until today, that same seacoast uh, has many clubs and many shipwrecks, but most of the people drown. And sadly, that is a, uh, a parable of uh, the life cycle of most churches. Uh, they, they, they start off uh, with, with a passion to see the lost come to faith in Christ. Uh, they, they see themselves as that beacon, as that lighthouse with a life-saving mission. But eventually, over time, they begin to, uh, to no longer look outwardly into the community uh, and, and just begin to, uh, to only look upon themselves and to be introspective. Uh, and they, they stop seeing themselves as a rescue mission and begin to only see themselves as a club for the already rescued. Uh, and if this is the, the natural tendency uh, of, 
of churches, if this is the natural life cycle, how do we, how do we guard against that? How do we pre- prevent our uh, Ambassador Bible Fellowship? How do we prevent ourselves from becoming just a club for those rescued rather than maintaining uh, what we are hoping to be of a, a rescue station? Well, what we're going to be looking at in, in 2 Corinthians today, I think we'll, we'll address that. See, see, Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, it's actually probably the fourth letter he, was, he wrote to the Corinthian church. Uh, but in, in this letter, he is defending his ministry and his status as an apostle. Uh, he, he is writing to them, and in this section, uh, from chapter 2 through the middle of chapter 7, he, he spends nearly five chapters explaining to them what true ministry looks like. Uh, and what we're going to look at today, we're going we're to read verses 11 through 21 in chapter 5. And then we're going to hone in on chapter, or verse 20 uh, in that chapter. Uh, and th- this is the, the pinnacle of what Paul says about true gospel ministry, that it is primarily a ministry of reconciliation. Let's, uh, let's begin to read in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about onward, outward appearance, appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are, out, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so in that, uh, those 11 verses, what, what Paul is saying there is that, that gospel ministry, true ministry, is, is focused, as we see in verse 11, he says, we, we persuade people. We want to persuade them. We want to convince them of who Christ is and what he has done on their behalf. And then in verses 16 and 17, he, true ministry, what do we see? It, it's transforming. Uh, all those who are in Christ, uh, the old has passed away and the new has come. And then in verses 18 through 21, he emphasizes that true ministry is a, is a reconciling ministry. Uh, it is a ministry of reconciliation, uh, 
declaring peace between God and man. And, and as those who are transformed by the gospel, we now have a ministry. And what is that ministry? A ministry of reconciliation. Those who are reconciled are now called to be reconcilers. Uh, and all who believe in Jesus are made new and rescued out of the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. But when that takes place, we have a new role and a new responsibility. Uh, we're no longer what we used to be apart from Christ, but now we are called to be ambassadors. Uh, and there are two aspects that we want to look at this morning of this role that we must accept uh, and the responsibility that we bear as ambassadors for Christ. And the role that we accept is seen in the first half uh, of verse 20, uh, that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Uh, and all of this is built upon uh, what he says previously. How do I know that? Well, it begins with therefore. We always have to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, all right? Uh, and, and because we have been reconciled, we now have that ministry of reconciliation. And he says, we are ambassadors. And another good question to ask, uh, if you can pardon my grammar, is who is we? Uh, who, who does the we refer to? Uh, and, and I think it's every believer. Now, I don't think it's just the, the apostles. Uh, I think it's every believer because how many of us uh, in Christ have been reconciled? Well, all of us. And all those reconciled now have that ministry of reconciliation. So this isn't just for something uh, in the first century for a small group of men. This is for uh, everybody who has been reconciled throughout the history of the church. This is what we are now called to do and to, to be. This is, this is who we are now in Christ. We are ambassadors. But, but what is an ambassador? And In essence, you can, you can sum it up. An ambassador is someone who is sent on behalf of someone else. Uh, and, and he makes a, a case. He, he makes a, a plea. Uh, he tries to, to bring peace. He tries to uh, establish friendship uh, between uh, two parties. And an ambassador goes from usually from one uh, political power to another uh, to try and bring about peaceful relations. So it, a, little, a little bit of context. In ancient Rome, ambassadors were usually sent to establish yeah, goodwill, friendships, or alliances. And interestingly enough, it was... It would be these the small cities or provinces on the on the perimeter uh, of the the Roman Empire or foreign powers who would send ambassadors to the emperor. They would come uh, to Rome to plead their case. Uh, they would offer tribute to try and gain favor. And w- one thing that's, that's interesting is the the emperor of Rome never sent out ambassadors. He didn't need to. Ambassadors came to him uh, to try and make peace. But if, if the emperor wanted something done, if the emperor needed peace in an area, he didn't send an ambassador. He sent generals and armies. That's what the Roman emperor did. And, and as ambassadors would come to him from the provinces, they were usually from royal or wealthy families uh, from whatever province they were coming from. And they would have to come on their own, by their own expense, uh, and come to really speak to the most powerful man in the world at that point in time. Now, one... One ambassador uh, describes this anxiety that he felt as he prepared to go and stand before Emperor Constantine. He says, Nor is it any small matter to make a request on one's own behalf to the emperor of the whole world, to put on a brave face before the eyes of such majesty, to compose one's expression, to summon up one's courage, to choose the right words, to speak without fear, to stop at the right moment, and to await the reply. So think about that. Ambassadors in, in ancient Rome, they were sent to uh, the emperor. 
But, but contrast that to what Paul is describing here. And this shows forth the character of God. See, even though he is the, the sovereign ruler and creator of all things, he, even though he is the one uh, that should be, uh, I guess, receiving us as ambassadors, we should be going to him, uh, trying to make peace with him, trying to, to, to reconcile the separation that we have created, and yet uh, it, is, it is God who, who initiates. Uh, even though a human emperor would never send ambassadors out to make peace, God, the creator of everything, sends ambassadors to make peace with the creation that has rebelled against him. And those, those terms of peace uh, that are sent out are really simple. Right? Believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. We saw this earlier in the summer in Psalm 2, which, which ends with this, uh, this exhortation. The psalmist writes, Kiss the son, meaning pay homage to the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So, so the, the creator of the universe is sending us out as ambassadors to his creation to carry the, his terms of peace. Uh, what an honor that is. And, but, but with that, there, there's two aspects that uh, as we go out as ambassadors, we need to keep in mind. Number one, we, we represent the power that is sending us. And number two, we carry his message. So let's, let's think about that in terms of as we go forward as ambassadors, we represent the power sending us. Um, how we conduct ourselves as Christians reflects upon Christ. Uh, we, we bear his name. We go forward on his behalf. And this is a, uh, the, the reputation uh, of the, the person sending the, and the, the, the one representing is inseparably linked. And that's a principle that we see in, in any organization. Uh, you see products and services uh, are, are inseparable from the reputation of the greater organization. So uh, my, my mother-in-law recently purchased, uh, I guess you can call it a little chew toy for my five-month-old son, uh, a teething toy. We won't call it a chew toy. Uh, and, uh, and so she, she purchased this and, and you know, was there. She's unwrapping it, and she gives it to him. She's like, oh, this is supposed to be it, it's na- all natural and, and healthy. And I said, me, I have a little bit of smart Alex still left in me. Uh, and I just said, well, well, how do you know? How do you know that, it, that, it's, that it's healthy uh, and that it's all natural? And she said, well, I got it at Whole Foods. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so there's, an, there's an assumption there, uh, that, and there's a reputation that exists that what I purchase at Whole Foods is, is healthy, uh, that, that it, it is going to be natural. Uh, and uh, why is that assumption made? Because uh, the name of the organization is connected with what the products and services that they, that they sell. Right? And, how is, uh, and that, that organization gets their reputation. Why? Because they've sold good products and services. See, there, there's a link there. Uh, and if you have good products and services, you're, you're going to have that reputation. Uh, and if you have great uh, or bad products and services, you're going to have a bad reputation. Uh, and the same goes for the church. See, in a, uh, a, a given church uh, will have a reputation in their community based upon uh, how its church members conduct themselves. Right, uh, and the reputation of Christ in a given community is based upon the churches in that area. Uh, there, there is an inseparable link between uh, the one that you represent uh, and the one who is sending. And our role as ambassadors is of the utmost importance because of what this this verse says. It says we are ambassadors for Christ, and God makes His appeal through us. 
Uh, we go as his uh, instrument, uh, the, the instrument that God uses to carry the gospel, uh, to spread the gospel around the world. We are his messengers. And, and think about the ways that God could have done that, right? Now, if he wanted to, he could have just sent out all of his angels to the ends of the earth, uh, and uh, they could have just announced God's terms for peace. Repent and turn to Christ. He could have done it that way, right? Or he could have just, uh, in a deep, booming voice, appeared in the sky uh, and said, Everybody, uh, believe in my son. Or he could have, if he wanted to, uh, he could have made all of the animals speak, all the trees, all of creation. Uh, He could have given voice to them, and they could have just announced the gospel to everybody. That's just in my own imagination. But God could have chosen any of those ways or so many others to, to carry the gospel forth. But what has he chosen to do? He's chosen to make us, those who have been reconciled, those who have believed in his son, we are now his ambassadors. We are his representatives to carry the message of reconciliation forward. Romans 10, verses 14 through 17 says, How then will they, speaking of those who haven't heard, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. See, the gospel goes forth as our feet carry it. The gospel goes forth as our mouths proclaim it. We are all missionaries. We are all messengers. We are all ambassadors. And this is the role that we must accept and embrace as followers of Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, said, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Uh, there's There's no middle ground. This is what we are all called to do. We are all called to to carry this message, and that is an honor. Uh, but with, with that honor also comes a responsibility. And as we carry his message, we should be like uh, clear glass, uh, a clean window, so to speak, that, that the light of the gospel shines through unaltered. Uh, we don't want to be stained glass or, or painted windows. Uh, and what happens when light shines through a stained glass? Uh, it, it becomes the, the color of whatever the, the glass uh, shade is. And it gets influenced and, and changed by uh, what it is passing through. And if, if God is going to make his appeal through us, that's a huge responsibility. And we can't filter God's message. We don't have the, the right or the privilege to, uh, to change what God has said. How, would we be faithful ambassadors if, if we're given a message and on the way we decide to change the message? How long would an ambassador have his job? or his head, for that matter, in ancient Rome, uh, if he carries a message and changes it along the way. We must be faithful to what God has uh, called us to and the message that he has called us to share. How humbling and amazing it is that God would allow us to be his ambassadors. And as those who've been persuaded by the truth of the gospel, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now given this ministry of reconciliation, we are called to pass it on to others. We have a message to carry and a king to represent. But, but if that's what our, our role is, we, we have to ask, how am I doing in that? How, how am I doing at representing Christ? How, how am I doing at representing my king? Would he be pleased uh, with the job that I'm doing as an ambassador? Right? And as, 
as Christians, we are all individual ambassadors, but what would that make a church? We are, we are an embassy. Right? We, we represent uh, another nation uh, in uh, wherever we're located. Now, we are a heavenly em- embassy uh, where ambassadors come together. We gather together to encourage one another, uh, to, to pray w- with one another, to, uh, to worship our king who is not currently here, uh, but who is coming one day. And then what we do, we, we, we scatter. We go and after gathering, we scatter into our community. We scatter into the world to proclaim the message, to carry the message of reconciliation and the terms of peace that we've been entrusted with uh, to the world around us. And we at, at Ambassador Bible Fellowship, we, we want to embrace our individual roles as ambassadors and we want to embrace our role as a heavenly embassy that we might faithfully represent Christ here in Meridian and throughout the entire Treasure Valley. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ, and that is the role that has been placed upon us. Uh, and it, it's not one that we can, we can reject. I love that Spurgeon quote. We are either missionaries or imposters. This is a role that we have to accept. This is what has been placed upon us. And, and this first point in, the, in this verse is primarily talking about who we are to be. And then the second half of the verse talks about what we are to do and how we are to do it. So we first looked at uh, the role that we accept, and now we'll see the responsibility that we bear as ambassadors in the second part of this verse. Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So what do we do? We call people to, to, to make peace, to be reconciled with God by believing in his son, Jesus. And how do we do this? We we implore them. We, we beg them uh, with urgency and with prayer. There should be an urgency in every gospel conversation that we have because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Uh, it, it's not tomorrow or the next day. Uh, one pastor has said uh, that today is the Lord's day. Tomorrow is the devil's day uh, because he always wants us to, to, to kick the can, to pass uh, those spiritual decisions on to the next day. I can do that later, but... But listen to what Hebrews chapter 3 says about uh, today being the day. The author of Hebrews writes, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, he's speaking of Israel's testing of God and their rebellion against God in the Old Testament. He says, Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then in Hebrews 4, 7, in that same uh, uh, passage, in that same section, he says again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How many times did the author of Hebrews say today? Uh, I think he wants to get something across. 
right? He, he wants to encourage them not to, not to fall away from Christ, not to, to harden their hearts to the deceitfulness of sin, but he wants them to make a decision for Christ today. He wants them to, to see and understand that, that they don't have anything else beyond today guaranteed. That, that today should be the day they make a decision for Christ, where they place their faith in him. And this reality that, that as long as it's called today, there's the opportunity for salvation, and as ambassadors, as long as it's called today, what do we have a responsibility to do? To proclaim that message of reconciliation. Uh, this should put a prayer in our hearts and the gospel on our lips. Uh, this understanding that, that we need to share the gospel with those around us. We, we, as the reconciled, need to be reconcilers, and we need to have a, a burden and an urgency uh, in our hearts for the lost. But we're often forgetful of this, Right? We're often forgetful of that today could be our last day. We often forget about the urgency in evangelism. Uh, I've never, never known anybody who felt regret because they, they, they begged somebody or pleaded with somebody too much to come to faith in Christ. Never known anybody with any regrets in that area. But I've known a lot of people who have regretted not sharing the gospel. And I myself have, have those regrets. When I was playing football in college in New Mexico... Uh, for our away games, we, we would travel together. There would be two guys uh, to a room uh, on the nights that we stayed in a hotel. Uh, and we always had the same roommate. In my junior year, uh, my roommate was a, a player named Kennedy. Uh, and we, we roomed together every, every away game throughout my, my junior season. And then he ended up not playing our, our senior season uh, because he had hurt his back. And one, one Friday morning, uh, my senior year, we, we arrive early, uh, oh, dark 30, uh, to get on the bus at like 6 a.m., uh, and I, I get there, and there's a group of players who are, who are huddled together, and they're, they're talking, and I come up and say, hey, you know, what's going on? And uh, I saw one of the guys wa- was crying, and I said, hey, what, what's happened? And, and he shared with me that, that Kennedy had, had passed away. He had been killed that night. See, he, he had been at uh, a party. Well, I'm sorry, he hadn't been at a party. He, was, he and uh, a group of two, uh, two other friends drove up to a party. Pat Kennedy was in the passenger seat. Another uh, friend was uh, in the seat behind him in this truck. The driver got out, left the car, uh, the truck running, uh, and somebody from the party who was drunk ran up, got in the truck, and sped away. And it wasn't long after that that the driver who was drunk flipped the car killing both Kennedy and the other passenger behind. But the driver survived. And, and when I got that news, it really, really hit home with me personally. Of Hey, I had all of these opportunities to share the gospel with Kennedy. And even though I was a, I was a new believer, I missed those opportunities. I, I didn't know that the, that the Lord would, would take his life later on or... And just that reality, if we don't know how long we have, we don't know how long our neighbor that lives next to us has, we don't know how long our family members have, and all too often we, we forget the urgency that we should have. We should be begging and imploring people to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ, because that is what matters most. Their, their eternity hangs in the balance. To quote Charles Spurgeon again, he says, if, 
If sinners be condemned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. But, but there will be some that we, that we minister to, that we plead with, that, that will continue to reject, that, that will continue to ignore our pleas. And, and we understand that because our, our message of reconciliation is, is one that, that it calls people to account. And see, reconciliation is only necessary when there's been what? Conflict. War. When, there, when there's separation. See, when, when two parties are at peace, there's no need to reconcile. Right? You know, there's no need for that. But we're called to go to those who have separated themselves from God. And, but also think about this. What, what if man would be deceived into thinking that, that there is no, no conflict between them and the Lord? And if there's no conflict between them and their Creator, there's no need for what? For reconciliation. So, so part of our, our ministry is to address that, that deception, that lie that we want to believe and that Satan wants to believe, that everything is peaceful between us and the Lord. But peace only comes through Christ. There can only be reconciliation for those who have believed in Christ. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Jer- during uh, Jeremiah's time, uh, there were pr- false prophets in Jerusalem uh, who kept saying everything was fine. Uh, Jeremiah 6.14, writing of these false prophets, he says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. See, part of our task as ambassadors, we, we have to convince people. We have to share with them from God's word and show them that they have rebelled against their creator. They, they have uh, offended him, and we can only announce his terms of peace. We, we bring the message of reconciliation, uh, of how they can make peace between God, their creator, and themselves. Uh, but, but Paul here isn't just concerned about this kind of uh, abstract doctrine. He's not like standing outside, pointing up into the sky at some pie-in-the-sky idea. Uh, he's not pointing to the clouds. What Paul is talking about here is the concrete task of reconciliation, of, of believers going as ambassadors to those who are alienated from God. And this is, this is exhausting. This is difficult. This is, this is messy. One, one pastor has said, the ministry of reconciliation involves more than simply explaining to others what God has done in Christ. It requires that one become an active reconciler oneself. Like Christ, a minister of reconciliation plunges into the midst of human tumult to bring harmony out of chaos, reconciliation out of estrangement, and love in the place of hate. See, as, as messengers, we are called to, to go to people. We don't, we don't just say, hey, I have a message. Can you come over here? And I'll, I'll, maybe I'll share it with you. We're called to, to go. Ambassadors, by their very nature, they don't stay in their homeland. They go somewhere else. Uh, they, they go and deliver a message to somebody else. And as we carry this message, we, we must reflect the character of the one sending this. See, it's difficult to, uh, to proclaim a message of reconciliation with anger and hostility, right? 
Make peace with God. Uh, you're like, well, but uh, we, we, we need to be ones who, as we have been reconciled, as we have been impacted by this, this message of reconciliation, we then carry that on, reflecting the character of Christ. We need to speak with unbelievers uh, with compassion, with patience, with love. But we also must speak the truth graciously and plead with them to be reconciled to God. We must be, be humble ambassadors. Uh, and, and as ambassadors, that, that's kind of a nice title, right? We're, we're ambassadors for Christ. Like, do we get a badge for that? Uh, no, Paul got chains for that. that that's what Paul got. Uh, and as ambassadors, we have no authority in and of ourselves. Uh, we, uh, we have a message that is authoritative. Uh, and what we, uh, what we carry has the power to, to transform and to bring life, but we have no authority in and of ourselves. And if we have no authority in and of ourselves, is there any reason to be prideful as we share the gospel with others? No, that there's, and if we understand that, of what Paul said, that all of this comes from God, all of this is from God at the beginning of verse 18, there, there's no room for pride on our part. Only humility as those who have been reconciled, as those who have been impacted by the gospel message, that we carry it forward to others. And this is a message that we can't, we can't just hold within us. We can't keep it to ourselves. Turn with me to, to 2 Kings. It's in the, in the Old Testament. 2 Kings, uh, we'll look at the end of, of chapter 6 in, in 2 Kings. See, if we have been given this message of reconciliation, we cannot keep it a secret. We cannot just hold it within ourselves. Second Kings uh, 24 and 25 says, Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. See, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the capital uh, city was Samaria. They, 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 uh, they are now surrounded by the king of Syria. He's come and besieged the city and there, there's no food. There is famine and it's a bad, it's a bad time. Now jump down to, to chapter 7, verse 3. So this, this same situation. Now, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we say, Sit here, we, also, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp to the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Say, hey, we're, we're between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> we're going to die in the city or we'll die when we go out there. Maybe we just we can go talk with them and maybe they'll spare us. Then verse 5. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of, the Egypt, of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents 
their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. So think about this. This is like the jackpot for these four lepers, right? They've come upon uh, an entire army camp worth of, of plunder and loot, and they just have their, their pick of it because everybody in the city still thinks what? That the army's still in the camp, <laughs> that they're still surrounded, that they're still in the process of being besieged. And then look at verse 9. The lepers, they realize that Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. See, these lepers realized that they had this, this great news of deliverance for an entire city that was starving. Now, those who had encamped against them, those who had surrounded them, had, had fled and left. And even though they had all of these benefits... Right? It's pretty good when, when you're four men and you have all of this treasure to plunder. Right? But what did they realize? It would, it would be good for a time, but if they sat on that good news, if they didn't go and share it with the city who's starving, there would also come a time where it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be good for them. And, and if they evaluated, if they came to the conclusion, hey, it wouldn't be smart for us to, to hold this good news to ourselves, how much more should we understand the same? That we can't hold the good news uh, that we have been entrusted with. Uh, and our news is far greater because our news doesn't just deliver one city. Our news doesn't just uh, save a group of people. It's able to save and transform the lives of anyone and everyone. And if we hold we, this news within, it won't be good for us because one day we will have to stand in front of our king, in front of the one who has commissioned us, the one who has sent us, the one who has made us his ambassadors, will one day have to stand before him and give an account. And may we be found faithful in that day. May we uh, be uh, judged as those who have pleaded, as those who has, have begged and implored people to be reconciled to God the Father through Christ his Son. Uh, those are the... the the terms of peace that we have been commissioned to carry forward. Uh, and that is, that is what we want the heart of our ministry to be here at Ambassador Bible Fellowship. That we, we want to think of ourselves primarily as a ministry of reconciliation, going to those who need to be reconciled with God, those who are estranged from God because of their own sin. And like I said, that, that's not going to be easy work. It gets messy when when you when you're when you're bringing in people from the sea, shipwrecked sailors who are filthy and salty and smelly, and you're you're there to to rescue them. That that's that's tiring work, isn't it? But we cannot lose sight of our purpose. May we always be that rescue station, that lighthouse on the shore, looking out for lost souls at sea. And may we never hesitate to run to their rescue. May the gospel always be on our lips and may we always be bold in proclaiming and seeing those opportunities that we have. What I'd like to do is, is close in prayer and 
Uh, at the end of my prayer, uh, there'll be uh, just a, just a brief time for uh, for you to uh, to pray quietly uh, in your own heart uh, to just uh, ask the Lord how He would have you to respond to what you've what you've heard today. We we want you to to think about what God's Word is calling you to, uh, and give that opportunity. And then we will continue to worship uh, in song. Lord Jesus. Lord, we come to you praising you, thanking you for your willingness to go to the cross on our behalf, to pay the penalty for our sin. Lord, we thank you so much for that. We thank you for for enduring what you did not have to endure. The wrath of God was poured out upon you instead of being poured out upon us. You died on the cross, you were buried, and then you rose again, and you are alive today in heaven, entrusted with all authority. And Lord, now you have commissioned us to go forward with this message of reconciliation. And may we be faithful in that. And gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for just your your plan of redemption, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Lord, we thank You for taking our sin from us and placing it upon Your Son. We thank You for taking His righteousness and giving it to us, placing it upon us. Lord, we don't deserve it, but we are so thankful for it. And may we be faithful representatives. May we we be faithful message carriers that we might glorify You, that we might... Uh, be salt and light in this community that others might come to know your son, Jesus Christ, through us. Lord, make your appeal through us, we ask in Jesus' name.